the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, me, Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of If he can take out Sammy Callahan tonight, what in the? Who is there? Look at the size of this guy. There's a monster in the ring. This guy's got to be close to seven feet tall, Josh. Just snatch the chair out of the hand. Oh my God. That's that's Madman Fulton. This is not going to be good for Rich Swan. I promise you that. God. Oh my God. That's Madman Fulton. Look at that! Madman Fulton with the OB Eastern. Here comes Willie Mack. Four shots. And Willie Mack taken out by Fulton. Got yeah, a 285 tossed around like a baby by Madman Fulton. Fulton, one of Callahan's minions. While he was looking to grow the OVE family, and look out now. Kiss of death. Oh! With Madman Fulton by his side, Sammy Callahan takes down Rich Swan. You hate to say it. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to the flagship TMPT Empire interview program. 
If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week I'm joined here by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And today, as we close out 2019, we are digging about as deep into the TMPT vault as we ever could or ever have as we resurrect a very lost interview with now known as Madman Fulton, former NXT product Sawyer Fulton, joining us today on the TMPT flagship program. And if you are an Impact Wrestling viewer, you know that Madman Fulton is part of the OVE faction. Uh, but a lot has gone on in his career prior to his uh, time in Impact Wrestling, and we'll talk about that today. So, John, I'll welcome you in here now. We talked about last week that this is the time of the year we like to pull out some of those uh, rare gems that we've got, some of those lost episodes, if you will, maybe like a common thing. I think of the Honeymooners or, or an old like 1950 or 60s show when you hear of the lost episodes. But uh, we got two great ones last week and this week. So talk about uh, Sawyer Fulton, now known as the Madman Fulton. But uh, drop some knowledge on us about uh, Mr. Fulton. I love when we can kind of go back and, and not really, you know, salvage the episode, but really save the episode. And it kind of gets lost in the vault and then it kind of gets almost destroyed and brought back to life as we change platforms and different things as far as behind the scenes and setting it up. So it's great to kind of save this one. And it had becomes a lost episode, but we were able to save it and bring it back. And I, I just love that. And obviously last week as well with Billy Black, but this one was actually in the vault for even longer. So it was great that you were able to salvage. I just want to get this one back out there. But really, this one was a huge focus of when he had just kind of left NXT and was making his grounds on the indie scene and kind of making his grounds elsewhere, trying to get his footing back in the wrestling world. And obviously, he had a WWE no-compete clause, so you're, you're basically not wrestling for 90 days after the release. So he has to reestablish himself. He's got to have a transition, whether it be difficult or not. He does have to transition you know you got to leverage those negotiations you got to get back out there and get your feet wet if you want to continue being a pro wrestler and obviously he does like you mentioned still today with impact wrestling and kind of making a big name for himself as madman fulton but in nxt he was sawyer fulton and he was signed all the way back in 2012 by triple h and you know we go through the whole story. How'd you get signed? Who signed you? That, you know, that whole thing. Then of course, which I love to get into. And I know Chad, you love it as well. The name originator, the name generator, where does the name come from? So, <laughs> so basically in 2013, they create Sawyer Fulton and there it is. There's your name. So we get into that and how it was established and, you know, why that name is that name. And did he pick the name? Did he like the name? And I like getting into that because that, that's always fun to kind of pick those guys' brains, especially the WWE name generators and the NXT guys, where it's like, okay, where the hell did these two names come about? And you're just throwing it together. I mean, it's just crazy to think, but we do go through his uh, NXT run. And it is kind of fun looking back at some of those early NXT days before it really blossomed and became big on the network. It's kind of fun to, and then when it does get on the network, and it's not as popular, as, obviously, as it is today, I'm talking about WWE Network, not USA Network, and it's kind of cool to go through and see all the guys he wrestled at what point in their careers and, and kind of where they are now and where he is. Yeah, and that group, think about those early days of that NXT class of 2012-2013. I mean, that's literally like the business now, you know? They really were like the breeding ground at the time, and he's really come a long way. And uh, almost like this is a chat where you can look back and 
really uh, kind of be introspective in his career and see where uh, where he'll be next. And Impact Wrestling uh, trying to uh, salvage uh, every, I guess, bit of eyeballs you can in this uh, this day and age with uh, with the wrestling wars. But before we get into this uh, this long lost one, John. I mean, what else can you tell us? Give us some keys to the game uh, as it relates to uh, Mr. Fulton. And, uh, you know, before we get into that next phase of the name generator, why don't you uh, give us a few pointers that we can look forward to? Love getting into the WWE Performance Center and what it's like training there and kind of a day in the life and going through there and really learning about not only the coaches, trainers, the mentors, all the guys that are coming in and out of there but also like what it's like there and, and how monstrous it is and how intimidating it might be but how cool it is that wrestlers nowadays aren't working out into broken down piece of crap gym or anything like that this is a grade a facility nfl level facility that these wrestlers get to come in and really really hone and learn their craft at and it's such a, an advantage for these guys whether they know it or not whether they utilize it or not but i think that's really cool and i love going through the nxt run Talking about all the guys he wrestled in NXT, Bobby Roode, Ty Dillinger, obviously who we know as Sean Spears, even the legendary Bushi was down there and got a chance to get in the ring with him. Uh, the guys like um, Dawson, obviously they weren't, um, Dash Wilder and, and Scott Dawson weren't quite the revival yet at this point, but they were the mechanics when they wrestled them. So it's cool kind of talking about that. And of course, talking about the group known as sanity and what his role was in that group and the formation of the group and kind of in the glory days of sanity when they were actually over, because when they got kind of brought to the forefront of SmackDown, they got used what a couple times and boom, they're gone. And it was like, man, like they didn't use them well at all. So that we, this is really going back to the, the original sanity, the group that was being pushed in NXT. And we talk about him being replaced by Killian Dane and that whole situation there. And obviously we get into his WWE slash NXT release and what that meant to him and how it all went down. So it's a lot, a lot of fun if you're an NXT fan and you really want to learn about the behind-the-scenes going on of the Performance Center as well. Absolutely, yeah. And it's a great look at that. And we will uh, wrap it up here for 2019 with this Sawyer Fulton interview. And we'll uh, we'll kick it off uh, right in 2020. Got a big five-year freaking anniversary coming in a couple weeks. Goodness gracious, uh, as Susan Waldman would say, uh, with this five-year anniversary coming. Can't believe it. But head over to tmptempire.com for all the links, all the podcasts, and all the amazing stuff going on in the Empire uh, presently and uh, moving on here into 2020. So let's wrap it up here. Nice. Hit you with some TMPT business and get it on over to the madman. Sawyerful. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michaels, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, and Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio. 
Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, a former member of Sanity, a former NXT slash WWE superstar, you may know him as Madman Fulton, but he is Sawyer Fulton. Please enjoy. in NXT. Now he is known as Madman Fulton. He is the man formerly known as Sawyer Fulton. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Uh, I'm doing excellent. How are you doing today, man? Doing very good. Now, kind of just touching upon what you're up to now, obviously, you know, you're now known as the Madman Fulton. What is kind of your, you know, your game plan now? Are you enjoying life on the independent scene, or kind of what is the madman, formerly known as Sora Fulton, up to today? Uh, you know, right now I'm, you know, I'm trying to get reestablished uh, as far as the independent scene goes. Um, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's a difficult transition for me because this is the first time I've actually been able to have leverage in a, you know, kind of a negotiating situation uh, before when, you know, when I, when I started wrestling, when I started professional wrestling, I was just traveling places and setting up rings and doing security, hoping on the off chance that somebody, uh, you know, some booking falls through and I can, I can get on the show. So for now, I'm trying to learn how to navigate the landscape and just, you know, get as many places as I can and, and go as far as I can. Um, so that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now is just figuring out uh, the, the new landscape, I guess, and uh, how to traverse it. It's interesting now with the independent scene. It's almost a good thing in a, in a strange way to be released or to no longer be in WWE because the independent scene is so hot right now. Have you noticed that kind of on your, you know, on your journey on the independence? Have you noticed it's a lot different than it used to be? Um, you know, my, my journey on the independence uh, currently is not really going too far. I, uh, my no compete is, you know, just ran up. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just beginning for me. Um, I think the biggest thing for me right now, as far as, as being able to take advantage of that, because as you said, like right now, uh, you know, the Indies is the place to be. It's, 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 it's happening. It's hot. Like, um, there's so much you can do and so many places you can go. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, 
you know, a lot of people are able to make a living, you know, without being signed to a major contract. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me to be able to move and go further and to do more is to really establish myself as a presence um, on the NBC and in in the independents. Um, And that's what I'm looking to do. I I really want to look and show that, you know, that I can hold my own with the best and that I know and that I can wrestle because I know I can. And I want to be able to show that to different places. And, and, um, and I think that's going to be really where everything takes off. I think it'll be a slow start for me, uh, coming from NXT for as long as I was in there. But I think once the ball starts rolling, it's going to be hard to stop. Is there any place that you can think of that you want to wrestle? Like, is there something you have in mind as far as I want to wrestle there? Would it be like a PWG, ROA, something like that? Um, and no, uh, I, would, I would love to be part of ROA. I think they have a great company right now. Um, but I, I think for me, what I would really like to do is I'd love – just to travel and, and to get out. And I'd love to, uh, I think my overall goal for 2018 is to be able to go to Japan and wrestle over there and, and just learn the culture and experience what it is to, to be able to wrestle, uh, you know, the world. Um, I've actually been taking Japanese lessons in the hopes that if I do get the opportunity to go over there, that I can be able to handle myself and, uh, you know, not look like a complete idiot out on the streets, but um, yeah, like I, I'm, not, I'm not really restricted by things that I want to do. You know, I'm ready and willing to take every opportunity available to me. Um, and that's what I'm looking most forward to is to be able to spread out and see how many places I can go. And in a way that is kind of fun because you're learning Japanese, you're possibly going to be part of a new culture, but then there's a little bit of nervousness, like, well, are you going to get booked over there and things like that? Is, there, is that something where you send feelers out or are they kind of coming to you? How does that all work out? Uh, I, you know, I'm sending out feelers as far as I can go. Uh, one of the cool parts about being in NXT for as long as I have been um, is that you really get to establish friendships and um, and kind of network with so many different types of people from, you know, from around the world. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I've, I've learned a lot. I'm getting a lot of uh, help from Steve Carino still. Um, I'm good friends with both uh, Del Rio and his little brother, Ijo uh, de los Caras. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping that, that I can get help from them and hopefully wrestle, you know, get some wrestling in Mexico. It would be amazing. Um, you know, I'm friends with uh, so many NXT guys, guys like uh, uh, Simon Grimm, Sammy, uh, Sammy Callahan, Bull Dempsey, um, Josh Woods, who is with ROH now, um, and, and so many of them that I still, uh, you know, keep connections with, and you know, um, and being able to to use you know our friendship together and. Uh, our network, you know, I've worked so long to build and, and really some feelers out and get so many different places. And it is cool to be friends with those guys in a certain way because Callahan, obviously, no longer with WWE, Dempsey, Grimm, recent guys that were part of NXT and a kind of a big part of NXT at one point, and they're succeeding in other ways. Obviously, uh, you know, Bull is 
booked all over the place, and he's kind of booking promotions. Sammy Callahan booked his own promotion. Are they like the perfect guys to kind of mimic, if you will, because not only they're succeeding, but they're also doing different aspects of the business, like booking and things like that? Uh, I think that literally anybody who is uh, really trying to make their way and trying to figure out how to establish themselves should look at Sammy Callahan um, as someone who, you know, felt like he deserved more and that he could do more and left to go do it um, and really, you know, put all his money on himself. Obviously, it's worked out for him. Um, you know, he, he's he's gone so far and he's done so many things. I think he's the only person to have worked not only for WWE, but as well as New Japan, TNA, and Lucha Underground. Like, he's everywhere. His name is absolutely everywhere. Um, and I think he's a good guy that to look at who didn't have, uh, you know, all, not all of the same came from WWE, and he doesn't rely on that, that Solomon Crow name. He, uh, he just, he's out there and establishing himself. Um, and I know that, you know, I, I know that he's how much he's been helping me in just, you know, to be able to get my name out. And, uh, you know, I know that he's putting his name out there vouching for me. So, you know, he's a great guy to know. Same as, you know, Bull and Simon, uh, that they're able to take what they did in WWE and transition it into a, you know, successful independent career. Um, so, you know, they're also good guys and, you know, they're able to spread your name out and, um, and you know, it is just nice to know that you have all these guys that have done it and went through the same thing to be able to, to help you out and talk to you and, you know, kind of give you that guiding hand for, you know, for guys like me who are new to, uh, now I'm not going to say new to the independent circuit because I, you know, I've done a few before I got in with WWE, but it's definitely a whole different animal now than I've ever experienced. It's funny how it changed like so quickly. Like five years ago, you got signed to NXT. The independent scene has shifted and, and changed so much. But, you know, you were on the indie scene. You were a former amateur wrestler, former All-American wrestler as well. How did WWE notice you? How do you get on the radar? Is it your amateur background? Was it you on the independent scene? How did they sign you to NXT? Um. I think, you know, everybody has a different story on getting there. For me, it was through my amateur wrestling. Um, you know, I started amateur wrestling in elementary school, because honestly, because I thought it was the same thing. And, you know, pro wrestling is what driven, what drove me to, to do it and to start, because um, I thought there was going to be a ring there, and that, that's how you become a pro wrestler. Um and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with amateur wrestling, and I just wanted to be as good as possible at it. Even after I learned that that's not how you get to the ring, you know, I still wanted to go as far as possible. Um, so WWE found me my senior year uh, at Nationals. And the way Nationals works is a two-day tournament, and if you make it to the second day, you're automatically going to be placing in the top eight. If you haven't been eliminated by the second day, you're going to be placed in top eight, which is on All-American status. Um, I had All-American the year before, so when I was no longer in the running for first place, I kind of had a little bit of a breakdown, and I stopped caring. 
because uh, at that point there was no difference for me between third and eighth. So I started just, you know, throwing guys and slamming guys and taking risks that I shouldn't have been taking that were dumb for me to take. Uh, you know, I was trying to make guys tap out. I was doing things that were like very, very, very borderline illegal, you know, that would have got me disqualified. And it was very stupid. Like, even looking back on it, you know, I was being a really childish idiot. But what I didn't know is that Jerry Briscoe's flight got delayed and he just happened to be there. He doesn't know my feelings. He doesn't know what's going through my mind. All he sees is a big bleach blonde guy running through people at an all-American level. Um, so when I got back for my match for third and fourth, um, I actually saw him sitting next to my mother in the stands. And that's when I first realized, like, oh, oh, there's a lot on the line here. Like, I'm being really watched. So, you know, I, I made sure to win that last match. I took third, and when I was done, uh, you know, as soon as I won the match, I started, uh, you know, my Hulk Hogan sequence of poses in the center of the mat just to let them <laughs> know, like, like, hey, like, I know where you are. I know you're watching me. Um, you know, and I get done, and I, you know, I hug my coach, I hug my mom, and I'm out of breath, and he finally comes up to me. He's like, do you know who I am? And I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, you know what I want? I'm like, God, I hope so. And, and then, you know, that was that. And he, he signed me to a tryout, and, you know, I, I ran as, you know, fast and far as I could with that ball for as long as I could. You know, really shaped the next five years of my life. Absolutely, you're in NXT for five years. So when you are, are like, are you there after you get to tryout? Right? Are you automatically in NXT, or they send you someplace else for some seasoning, and then they bring you back to NXT? Uh, you, you know, your tryout is just a, a a visual for them to get a look at you. Um, I actually. My tryout was still in Tampa when it was FCW. I don't think it was quite NXT at the time, um, but that was in June of 2012. Um, and I had I had uh, people like Sarah Mato, who is now an assistant head coach in the in the PC. Uh, Sasha Banks was in my tryout. Um, Let's see, I'm trying to think of people who are still with the company that were in there. Scott Dawson was in there. Elias Sampson was in that tryout. Um, as well as, you know, a lot of people who were signed and are no longer with the company. Uh, you know, like uh, Cal Jack, uh, Dak Draper. Um, i trying to think of a few others that were there. But, you know, we had a lot of guys that came from that tryout. And... You know, that's just an opportunity for them to be able to, to see you and to see your athleticism and how you handle the, the cardio and how far they can push you and how you react and how you take coaching. Um, so just getting a tryout doesn't mean they're going to take you. Um, but it's a good indication that, you know, they have their eyes on you. Definitely. So when you actually officially, you know, were signed to NXT, who do you get the call from? Is it a, is it like a uh, Johnny Ace at that point? Does Briscoe call you back? Is it a Triple H even? Um, so my situation was a little bit different. Um, at the time, I believe uh, Canyon Seaman just took over as the head of talent relations, I think is his official position. Um, and he was looking to make some, you know, big signings right away. So during my tryout, they pulled myself, 
uh, a guy named Sammy Dell, who's currently wrestling as Dak Draper uh, for, I think, NWL. Um, and uh, Clayton Jack, who's now wrestling as Cal Jack out in California. And they pulled the three of us aside and said, you know, let us know, like, hey, you guys really impressed us on all aspects. You're all very young. You know, you have the talent we're looking for. You have the charisma we're looking for. Uh, we're going to sign you. Can't let anybody know. This isn't a thing that, you know, you can spread out right now. You have to wait until you get your official call. But we just want to let you know, like, hey, you know, don't do any drugs and don't get fat. Like, keep yourself in good shape. <laughs> um, and so a couple weeks later, maybe a month or two later, I don't really remember when I got the actual, the day of the actual call. Um, but it, it's canyon that'll that'll call you and and let you know like hey you know we're interested we want to sign you we're going to send you over a contract we get over it here's the next steps you're going to do um, and I was actually uh, I was actually at work when he called me I was doing landscaping at the time and uh, I got the call and like my boss knew I was waiting for the call so he just let me wander off and as soon as you know, I, I I already knew, but as soon as I was able to give that yes to everybody, um, the house that we were working for even came out with like a six pack, and like we all celebrated there. Um, nice. You know, it was a pretty good day. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how it goes. Within a couple months down the line, you're going to get that call of either yes or no, and you know, and you just move on from there. So you started in NXT, but uh, I guess you get signed in 2012, started in 2013. They give you the name Sawyer Fulton. Is that something that you come up with, or is that like a name generator thing? What is the origin of the name? Uh, a lot of times with names, uh, I'm not really sure how it works now. It's really gotten weird with uh, how names work now because a lot of guys don't get their names so quickly. Um, but we turned in names that we were interested in using. Um, and I, turned, I probably had a list of about 50 names, um, ranging from, I, I turned in the name Duke Haskins, which is uh, the name of my first dog in the road I grew up on. Um, and then like a lot of my friends' names, uh, I turned in the name Desmond Sawyer, who is a character from Lost. Um, and I turned in the name Charlie Fulton, who is the man who kind of started the ASWA, you know, my my home gym. And so I turned in maybe about 50 names, and they came back with four. And the four I got back were Dude Haskins, uh, Sawyer Haskins, Sawyer Fulton, and Desmond Sawyer. And the first thing I was told was I wasn't allowed to be Dude. I'm like, well, I turned the name Duke. Can I be Duke? And they're like, eh, no. Like, we offered you Dude. That's what got cleared. But we're not, like, the actual coaches at the time were like, don't be Dude. So I was like, okay, well, obviously they want the name Sawyer. And I wanted the name Fulton as kind of pay homage to Charlie and, and kind of my background and, you know, where, you know, uh, giving light to my start. So that's kind of how that all, you know, happened. You know, they wanted Sawyer and I wanted Fulton. And, you know, it worked out from there. When you debut and, you know, you have your name and everything is kind of set for you and you get to that performance center, was that kind of like, whoa, like this place is a state-of-the-art, like, NFL facility. Were you shocked with what you were seeing out of the performance center? 
so I started in Tampa. And oh, okay. Tampa at the old at the old FCW building is a small warehouse. And they have a kind of show area which you could fit, you know, one ring in and maybe hundred people, maybe hundred and fifty if you're if you're really stacking in there. Um, and then behind that is another like kind of bigger room where there's two rings almost touching a small office and a small trainer room. Um, and that's it. You know, there's not even locker rooms there. There's no changing room. You change out, you know, in the open pretty much. Um, so when they started, when they got the building for, uh, you know, and the NXT Performance Center now, um, was just a massive, massive warehouse. And the guys that were in FCW at the time and NXT were actually the ones who moved a lot of the rings in and set up a lot of the rings. Um, so like, I actually had to take part in building the PC itself. Um, and I think just watching it build, the second you walk into that room and you see the absolute massiveness of where you're about to be without the rings in it, kind of gives you that ominous feeling of like, well, like, we're getting into something really cool here. Um, but then, like, as it develops and the more and more that was added in, the more and more you see that gets put in there, you really, you know, it's easy to take for granted because you're there every day, but you really got to step back and just be like, you know, there's seven rings in here, like, in one room. There's a state-of-the-art, uh, you know, gym. There's locker rooms. There's a lounge. There's a there's a two rooms just with a camera in them just for practicing your promos. Um, you know, everything that you could ever want to develop yourself as a superstar in there is in there, and it's it's astounding. It's really breathtaking if you can really look at it. Did you prefer that kind of new school, almost NFL facility-like training, or did you like the old school kind of setup of an FCW? Um, you know, I like them both, and I like them both for different reasons. Um, I was I was brought up. I started training in a spare room that is attached to the side of a strip club, and we had a 16 by 16 ring in an 18 by 18 room, uh, and that was it. And that's all we got. And then so when when we got the, uh, FCW and the Tampa version of NXT, you know, I kind of like that. Of You know, it was just two rings, and that was it. Um, and you you really learned, and you really, you know, you grinded, and that's all you had to do. And if you wanted to lift, you had to go do that on your own. If you wanted to go do cardio, you had to do that on your own. You were responsible for every part of your life other than the wrestling. And you had to be able to go there and wrestle. Whereas you look at the PC, and I think it's it's great on a whole, uh, you know, separate level of they have absolutely everything you're ever going to be able to need to do there in the PC, and everything is available to you. Um, and it, it is cool knowing that, like, hey, like we have the state of the art lifting coach right here. You know, um, Sean Hayes is. Absolutely astounding. Absolutely astounding. Can't like working with him has helped me out so much. I lost, you know, when I wanted to lose weight, he helped me lose fifty pounds, and it was absolutely incredible working with him. And just 
he's there. He's there every day. And the training room is huge, and we have three excellent athletic trainers. So when I got hurt, they were there, and we were there every day. And no matter when I wanted to come in, they were there and ready for me to, you know, to work out. And I wanted to do rehab twice a day, and they were there to help me. You know, you have all these amazing coaches, tons of them, you know, and they're there, and they're there every single day. You can ask them any questions. So it's like you can go from FCW where you really rely on yourself and you really have to go out of your way. And if you want coaches to stay extra, you have to ask, to where you have, and it really forces you to become better on your own, where you have NXP, where everything's available to you all of the time, and, you know, you can you can become better without uh, – you can become better – just from being there. It is, see, from what I've seen on the uh, Breaking Ground and the different shows on the V Network, it's just an amazing, amazing facility. And while you're there, a lot of names that people would recognize today on TV, like when you first started out in 2013, the Wyatt family, Neville, uh, Cassius Ono, a.k.a. Chris Hero, Jason Jordan, Sami Zayn, Baron Corbin, Xavier Woods, all these guys are kind of coming up with you at, at this point. Did you see anything in these guys where you're like, wow, like, um, you know, we're all going to make something and NXT is going to be big. Wow, these guys are going to become something on TV. Or you're not even paying attention to that. You're just kind of focused on your own self at this point. I think it, it became very apparent that NXT was going to blow up uh, just from being there and seeing how much everybody helps out each other. Um you know, I learned a lot from guys like Xavier Woods and Leo Kruger and, um, you know, Ascension, um, um, Corey Graves, and just everyone that was there. Uh, and, and not necessarily that they're going out of their way to help you, but everything they do helps you in every little way. You're watching every movement that happens. And then they go out of the way to tell you, like, if you want to ask them why, everyone's available to ask why. You know, I have no idea how many times I sat down with uh, Leo Kruger or or Mason Ryan after matches I wasn't even involved in. They're like, how come you did this instead of this? Or like, you know, why why do you do it this way? Um, and everybody's so willing to to help, and there's there's this kind of family culture that you can get there of everyone, you know, helping each other, and it's. It's, it's amazing to see the way people grow and the way people develop and how quickly someone's whole career can 180 from one character to another, um, i.e. Tyler Breeze. So, you know, a guy like uh, Mike Dalton, who was getting, he was a great wrestler, but, like, was getting close to getting released and then one day shows up as Tyler Breeze to a promo class and you literally just sit there stunned and just, you know, mouth agape, like, holy crap, he's going to make millions of dollars. Like, he's going to make so much money, it's incredible. And from one-minute promo that came out of nowhere from a random idea, and the same thing with, like, Adam Rose. They didn't want Leo Kruger anymore, and he shows up, and he does this promo with Adam Rose, and you just go, oh, my, like, holy cow, like, Look at this! Like, this is absolutely astounding. Like, where did this come from? Um, and it's it's cool to see the way people develop and how willing everyone is to help you develop alongside them. 
which is great to kind of see, you know, how each person grows and develops. And, you know, you were teaming with Angelo Dawkins for a bit. You know, you're wrestling the Enzo and Cassis of the world, uh, Dawson and, and Wilder and the Vaudevillains, the Hype Bros, and Blake and Murphy. And each person is kind of going through. But when do they kind of see something in you and they say, oh, man, you know, we got to team him with Alexander Wolf and, and we got to uh, form this crazy group called Sanity that's a kind of, you know, a different group than we've seen in pro wrestling before? I think the first time that they recognized me as someone who could be part of that sanity group, uh, Angelo Dawkins and I were wrestling Blake and Murphy um, on a, it, it's, it's somewhere on the network, it's, uh, but it, it was a part of an NXT televised match. Um, and I kind of came in last minute, and, you know, I got the last second tag from Angelo, and I kind of had this amazing comeback and just house of fire and just ran through everyone. Um, and, you know, it, and that was all kind of like spurred on by a, a, uh, a kind of speech by William Regal uh, right before I went out. And I just did everything I could there. And I think that, like, I came to the back and literally to Hunter taking off of his headphones and going, what the heck, like, where the hell has that been? That is absolutely amazing. He's like, that's what we want. Um, and, you know, shortly after that, that he kind of spurred the idea of sanity along with it um, with myself, Sammy Callahan, and Marcus Louis. And gave us the idea from the movie Smoke and Aces. Uh, and obviously things didn't quite work. You know, Sammy left for his own devices and, and Marcus got released. And then so once Wolf and I started tagging together, I think we kind of saw that same thing popping up again. And, you know, it took one match that we didn't even know we were going to be doing together and we had no plans for and we had no tag team moves together. And the ball just started rolling and rolling and rolling, and, you know, it took off from that. It took off from one quick match on TV and then to one quick match in Bartell, Florida. And, that, you know, that's all it takes to spark ideas and, and get going. Yeah, crazy the way that can happen in the wrestling business. It's not really designed to happen. We didn't really think of it. And then you put you and Wolf together, great chemistry, and, and it just kind of fit in the Saturday gimmick more members and it really starts taking off so when you add a, in a you know a Nikki Cross the female role but when you add in a leader like Eric Young you think at this point like wow I'm in for you know a big push and this group is you know something that WWE or NXT really has um, you know is going to put the light on them yeah it, it, it was cool to be part of that it's cool for me especially being there um, for years um, and and watching all these guys get the spotlight put on them and getting moved up and getting stuff done with them. And it was cool for me to finally have that spotlight swing in my direction. And people looked at like, oh, yeah, like all this work you've been doing, like all the sweat you've been putting in here, you know, everything you've done for us, here you go. Here's the ball, finally. Um, and, I, you know, it was definitely really cool to be a part of that. And you guys were in the, the Dusty Rhodes tournament. You beat Rudin Dillinger, uh, Bushi, and TJP. 
You end up losing to TM61, uh, Miller and Thorne in the, in the semifinals. So it seemed like, you know, you guys definitely had some momentum there and you started getting, uh, a, you know, a bit of a push. Did you feel that you guys were, you know, headed for maybe tag team gold or did you kind of see you as NXT tag team champs or anywhere or any other thing that you foresaw for your group? Uh, I think about the time we faced TM61 uh, in the match that we lost in the Dusty Rose Classic. I think it was right when Wolf and I, we've had good matches before and we've done a lot of good stuff, but I think that was a time where we could officially put a mark and go, we're hitting our stride. Like, you know, we're going from, you know, just getting the ball and figuring out how to carry it to full on sprint. Um, and, you know, we finally we kind of ironed out who we were as characters and we, we figured out how to navigate what coaches were telling us, um, you know, and I think that was really, yeah, really just the mark of, hey, here we go, like, things are going to start gearing up real quick, a lot faster than we're going to be able to anticipate, um, and it kind of it kind of was, even though, you know, I got hurt and um, was kind of taken out of the equation, that's really where sanity started to to turn. It was right after that, and then Eric debuting against uh, No Way Jose in singles uh, for a singles match, and everything from there just really spiraled off of that moment where we were finally able just to go, "Here we are. Let's do this thing." And how did that injury come about? You obviously you were out of, out of action for a while. I guess it was a torn pectoral muscle, if I remember correctly, but how did that injury all go down? Um, we did a TV taping for NXT TakeOver Toronto, um, and in which we come out and disrupt a match between Kona Reeves and Rich Swan. And as Wolf and I are hitting our finish on Kona Reeves, um, I feel something that feels like a knife being jammed into my shoulder. You know, I've never been, you know, stabbed before, but that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like someone just took a knife and rammed it into my shoulder. Um, and for a split second, um, I thought that maybe his arm got trapped in a weird way and that we somehow snapped his arm and that the bone went into my shoulder. And that's like literally just the immediate thing my mind tried to process was like, how am I getting stabbed? Oh, it has to be his bone because he's the only thing underneath me. Um, and I looked down and Conan's fine. So you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's just a stinger. Like it's just, a, you know, I lost a, you know, pinched nerve or something. No big deal. Um, and Swan comes up from behind, hits the wolf with the crossbody. And I go to punch Swan and my arm doesn't react and it doesn't work. And I sort of just kind of ace Ventura swung it at him, um, <laughs> you know, which it got the job done. And we were beating down Swan, and I picked my arm up again, and it picked up fine, but then when I went to go, you know, thrust it forward for the punch, it stopped working again, and it resulting in me kicking and, and throwing my kind of left-handed hammer fist. Um, and I remember shortly after we got them out of the ring, and Eric's looking for the microphone to cut a promo, um, I went over and grabbed Wolf by the head 
and just screamed at him. We're in front of everybody, so I'm screaming. He can still barely hear me. Um, hey, I tore my arm out of my shoulder. Stay on my right side, dude. It's done. And, you know, he was obviously super concerned as well. But um, And then afterwards, because I thought maybe my arm just fell, you know, came out of socket. Uh, and actually, while Eric's cutting the promo, there's a part where, like, I go to the back and I'm headbanging. Um, but in reality, I'm grabbing the rope and I'm trying to put my arm back in place because I don't understand what's wrong with it yet. Um, and by the end of that match, when we're done with, with uh, No Way Jose, I have my hand tucked into my belt because I can't hold it any longer. And um, we get to the back and we're talking with Hunter. And I, I just started shaking and I couldn't stand still. And he's like, are you all right? I'm like, I think I tore my shoulder. I'm like, what are you doing talking to me? Like, go get, you know, go to the trainer. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't be an idiot. Um, you know, and I actually didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was going to get better. Um, you know, instantly my arm started swelling and bruising. My biceps look amazing because it was so big, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, sooner or later the bruising started going down and we did the next taping in Ottawa and then it was Thanksgiving as soon as we got back. And by that Sunday, uh, a little over a week later, you know, I was feeling really good. I'm like, God, oh, you know, this is fine. Like, I just, you know, it must have just, like, pulled a muscle or something. Like, you yeah, no big deal. Like, we're good. Uh, and I got a call that the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Um, I think it was uh, November 27th. And the doctor called back with the results of my MRI and it was just like, yeah, you've completely severed your pec. Um, there's nothing, you know, you have to get it repaired. Like, if you don't get it repaired within two weeks, it's going to constrict too far that um, we won't be able to get full movement back when we repair it. Uh, so you need the surgery done now. And as soon as he told me that, that kind of placebo effect started wearing off and all the pain came rushing back to me. And, I'm like, and I asked him, like, can I stay for TV tapings and just be part of that and then go get the surgery afterwards? I was basically told, no, like, you need to have the surgery done now. I'm like, how soon is now? He's like, your flight leaves tomorrow for Alabama. Um, and so I had the surgery done on the 29th. And I believe TV tapings were on the December 2nd. And that's kind of... The first time, you know, after the TV tapings were over, the first time I heard about anything happening in the sanity was when Killian called me to let me know what was going on and what was happening on TV. And obviously Killian Dane would replace you in the group Insanity and kind of join up with uh, Eric Young and Wolf and, and Nikki. So when you're out of the sanity group and he's kind of letting you know that you've been replaced and things like that, is that kind of you know, a death blow to you because you're injured yet, you know, TV must go on and they kind of have to keep the storyline going. So in a way, is that like a killer to you? Like, ah, oh, damn, you know, this injury couldn't have came at a worse time. The injury couldn't have come at a worse time, quite honestly. Um, and I was absolutely livid for about two weeks and, you know, nobody would, you know, other than the, the members of Sanity, nobody would really talk to me. And none of the coaches were really explaining to me what was going on or if there was plans for me in the future. 
you know, all anybody ever told me was like, just focus on getting better. Just focus on getting better. And that made me even more mad and more angry. And I was fuming. I was so mad. I, I went home. I saw my family for two days before Christmas and I came back. Um, because I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want to be part of anything. I was getting really depressed. Um, And I don't know where the turn was in my mind, but eventually it just kind of dawned on me that being angry and being depressed wasn't to help. And it wasn't going to fix any of the problems I was currently experiencing. And regardless of what happens with me and sanity, you know, me holding a grudge isn't going to make me a better person. And so I started rehabbing as much as physically possible, as much as the doctors would let me go, I was doing. Um, And I started doing, uh, you know, like a stationary exercise bike that you kind of reclined in, getting as much cardio as I could. And I dedicated myself to, to losing the weight. At the time, I was about 315 pounds, um, and by the time I was cleared, I cleared myself from injury two months early. And by the time I was cleared, I had lost uh, 30 pounds. Um, and by the time I started doing matches again, I had lost another 20. I dropped from 315 to 265. Um, and I was literally doing anything and everything possible that I could to get myself back and to reestablish myself. And, you know, even though I kind of fell short and things didn't work out, like, I'm not ashamed at all, you know, of the effort and stuff that I put in. I know I worked my hardest, and I know they know I worked my hardest. Even leaving, even the day I got released, they were very open of, you made this really, really difficult on us because it's hard for us to deny your work ethic and how hard you're going. We just... You know, we just don't have anything for you, at the, you know, right now. And we think it's better off if you go out and do your own thing. So, you know, I'm not disappointed with how things worked out. But uh, it was definitely crushing for those first two weeks. Um, but, it, you know, it also taught me the lesson of, you know, I can do this on my own. And that, you know, being angry and mad and and, and salty about everything isn't going to solve any of my problems and then obviously you know you, you get the release um technically i guess it really was due to injury and and the timing obviously was terrible the on tv part was kind of weird because the way they kicked you out of the group was basically eric young beat up your old jacket did you ever get a chance to see that it was kind of a weird way to say like you know uh sorry Foldman's no longer insanity yeah, I don't really watch those episodes <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yes, they, they pop up. They pop up on my uh, my YouTube feed all the time, and I don't know how to uh, stop those suggestions from coming through. Right, right. So. <laughs> definitely, um, definitely weird. Yeah, it was definitely weird. But at the same time, they had two days to completely rewrite uh, a full thing that they, you know, that they've written, you know, months in advance for. They had plans for us and they had plans for where we were going. And then all of a sudden, no, we can't do that anymore. So, uh, you know, I think they did the best with what they could 
and you know just filled the spot for where it was. So the release happens. Were you completely shocked by it? Were you at all kind of expecting it because of the injury, or were you just thinking you're going to rehab and then immediately go back to NXT? Um, there was a part of me that kind of knew. Um, they, they let me know when I got cleared. I got cleared April 19th, and they kind of let me know, like, hey, you need to get back on TV like immediately. You need to find something. Um, you know, and I, you know, I tried, and I kept pitching different stuff, and I kept – trying all these different things and just nothing seemed to be striking a chord with anybody. Um, and I kind of made a decision myself. Uh, I was working very almost exclusively with Steve Carino at the time. Um, and I, I talked to Steve and basically let him know like, Hey, like, um, if they don't have any plans for me in war games, I think I might ask for my release by the end of the year. Um, because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to spend my life waiting for them to come up with something for me. I was coming up with all these ideas, and, and I was barely even getting responses back at this time. Obviously, they're very busy, and, um, and I felt underutilized. And I, I was feeling neglected there. Um, and I let Steve know that, and he he advised me otherwise. He's like, he's like, I understand. He's like, I, I get where you're coming from with all this. He's like, I would hate to see you go, but I completely understand if you if you do, just hold on a little bit longer. Um, uh, you know, I said, all right. And so about the time, you know, I obviously wasn't used in war games. Um, and so when they when they released me, I uh, I kind of knew we were making jokes. This obviously. Releases all come around at like the same time, um, and we were making jokes because uh, you know they, they did the main roster releases, and uh, the running thing was that uh, the Vegas betting odds were that I was going to be the next one, um, and I was you know I was like I need to get some insider information to make this bet because uh, you know if I do get fired I'm going to need some money. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I kind of knew came a little bit of a surprise because uh, they always get you back into office different ways. And I thought I was going to help the secretary move the box, and she led me into the office. Because, you know, I helped her move some stuff that she's not big enough to carry. Um, and I walk in, and Bloom's standing in the middle of his office. And I just, you know, I, you know if I tell I'm like, that's weird. Like, he never just stands around. He's always sitting on his desk. And then she led me into the office. And I saw Canyon, and I literally, like, as soon as I saw Canyon, like, it snapped in my mind that, like, I need to start making jokes because I don't want them to see me break right now. And so the second I saw Canyon, I'm like, oh, so it's come to this, has it? And he didn't laugh, and Bloom was standing right behind me who also didn't laugh. And, you know, it took me a long time to kind of, break their their frowns and their sadness. Because, you know, to me, it wasn't a sad moment. It wasn't a, you know, a thing to cry over. Uh, disappointing, yeah, but in, in the end, like, you know, I know I'm going to develop as a better person for it. And, I, you know, I know I have all these opportunities open because of what happened. That's what I was, that's basically what I spent the whole time trying to, you know, explain to them, like, 
hey, you know, I'm not going to be salty. There's no hard feelings here. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not entirely disappointed that it's happening. Uh, and finally, like by the end of it, I made a joke that, uh, you know, I told him like, you know, is there anything else that you want to say or get off your chest? And I'm like, well, I didn't have a ride to Jacksonville tonight, so I guess it solves one of these problems. And that's when they <laughs> finally, you know, broke and they laughed. And, you know, I, I know I left on good terms with WWE. And I think, you know, years down the line, uh, when I'm older and, you know, I accomplish the things that I want to accomplish outside, you know, if they offered me something back, I might take it. But there's a lot that I want to do outside of WWE first before I ever even consider going back. That is a great attitude to have. And, you know, I love the, the positivity of it and kind of cracking them and breaking them is great. But as I start to wind it down a bit here and kind of go into my wind down, is it a goal to get back there eventually, or if it happens, it happens? Uh, kind of both. There, obviously, there's there's a lot of things I want to, to do, and I want to be able to establish my name, and I want to be able to, in my own right and on my own, establish who I am as a wrestler and as a presence and a character. Um, and I want to travel all these places, and there's so much I want to do. Now, obviously, there's always that dream of, you know, holding a WWE title or going to a WrestleMania. But for me, I, I know that's years down the line. And I want to I want to be able to do things for me for a long, long time before I, you know, I think about any of that stuff. I've always been told that wrestlers don't hit their prime until they're 35. Uh, I am 27 right now, which means I have eight years so, you know, maybe eight, ten years down the line, if it happens, it happens. But there's a lot that I want to accomplish and get done first. And as far as, you know, your run so far in NXT and all the different places that you wrestle, all the different guys you wrestle, is there any favorite matches that stick out more than any others that you've had? Uh, a lot of my favorite matches that I've had, uh, you won't be able to find on the network. Um, live events are a lot uh, much different animal than uh, you know TV and uh, I think overall some of my favorite matches were when before pre-sanity when Wolf and I were doing stuff uh, over in England and Ireland um, and just working over there and just those crowds were just absolutely insane and so different than anything that um, you know anything that we've ever experienced over here you know they're singing insults at you and they're, they're responding and just going wild for absolutely everything that you're doing and it was really incredible time over there we also had some good matches with uh, Jason Jordan and Chad Gable uh, some out of state loops to the point um I remember, like, the third day of the tour, we actually had Sign Guy there. And it's kind of like, it's a very uh, fanboy goal of mine, but, uh, you know, Sign Guy had a sign for me and Wolf, and we weren't even on TV yet. Uh, and, you know, we had that whole place believing that we might be able to knock off Gable and Jordan for the NFC Tag Team Championships, and we are not even an established TV presence. 
Um, and I think between that and the stuff we did over in England were some of my favorite stuff that I've ever gotten to do in WWE. And it's, it's, it's good and bad knowing that no one's going to be able to see those matches. Um, like, it's cool knowing that how I remember them is never going to be changed. And, uh, and knowing that, you know, if you want to be able to see, you know, that kind of stuff and that kind of action, you know, you just have to come out and watch. Now, as far as in the future, I know we're talking about maybe a goal is to get back into WB. Really a goal is to head over to Japan, maybe wrestle for New Japan Pro Wrestling. But as DDP prefaced it to us, like five years from now, where do you see yourself? Like uh, if you could get out the old crystal ball and kind of project yourself five years from now, where do you see yourself? Um, my life currently has been thrown for a loop with this whole thing. Um not only being released, but I've had a lot of, of personal issues come up. Um, and, you know, where I thought that hopefully in five years I would be able to start a family and start evolving this life and doing all this stuff, uh, you know, I'm not sure what direction my life is headed anymore. Um, so I don't I don't know if I, if I have an idea of where I want to you know, where I see myself in five years. I know where I want to be in five years. You know, I want to be traveling. I want to be, be wrestling. I want to be doing, you know, I want to be able to self-sustain off of wrestling itself um, and, and and live this life and be able to, to teach and, and help others with it as well. Um, you know, I, I want to be viewed as guys like, like Sammy Callahan or... Uh, you know, or, or Cody Rhodes, guys that I use, like, you see them and you know, and you know no matter what, when you see them, like, you're going to get a good match. Um, you know, wrestling right now is my number one priority, and I want to be able to, to make it, and I want to be able to do it on my own. So I think five years down the line, for me, um, you know, hopefully I'm in a, in a nicer house, but doing the same thing. Is there any sort of dream match that you can think of? Is there somebody out there that you hadn't wrestled that you really want to wrestle or somebody, you know, maybe it could be a big name indie guy, could be, you know, maybe even guy in New Japan or something. Is there somebody out there like, man, that would be a great dream match for me eventually. I really want to wrestle that guy. Uh, so for me right now, like obviously wrestling, my, uh, my friends I've mentioned through this guy, you know, um, Sammy Callahan, Simon Grimm, Bull Dempsey, Joshua, Cal Jack, Dak Draper, those guys, like, it'd be great to wrestle some of my friends out there. Um, for me, as a big man um, who wants to show off athleticism, I want, to, I want to be able to establish myself as a heavyweight presence and kind of put my name in there with, you know, best of the big guys. So right now, like, the, where I'm looking to wrestle, like, the guys I'm looking to wrestle are guys like Jeff Cobb, Keith Lee, Willie Mack, Moose, you know, uh, Ace Romero. Big guys that, like, when you think heavyweight professional wrestling, you know, the guys, those are who you think of. And I would love to have matches against them so I can throw my name into that hat of, you know, who's, you know, who's the best heavyweight. And I want people to know. Fulton is right up there with him. 
Awesome. We definitely look forward to that. It'd be awesome to see you over anywhere, actually, in Japan, because there's so much good stuff going on in Japan, not only in New Japan, but all Japan is, is kind of killing it right now. Noah's making a resurgence. Uh, DDT is always doing good. So hopefully we get to see you over there and, and accomplish some of your goals there. But last thing is where can the fans kind of reach you as far as social media, plugs, and things like that? They want to follow in the career of Sawyer Fulton, now known as the Madman. Uh, so I just just changed uh, my Twitter and Instagram uh, to change in the new year. Uh, and actually possibly somebody stole my old handle immediately after I changed mine. But uh, on Twitter and Instagram, you can follow. Uh, Twitter is just Fulton World or at Fulton World. Instagram, I believe, is Fulton underscore world. Um, and you can find me on ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Madman Fulton. All right, awesome stuff. And we are definitely going to be keeping track of your career and to see where you're going from here because, like we've seen with so many guys before you, release from the WB isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can actually turn out to be a very good thing, a very profitable thing. So good luck to you in the future. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.